Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder, and we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. You know, we keep these struggles tucked in real tight around us, and so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not alone. But you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you're facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teenagers. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager facing the juvenile court system. This twice-monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. Hi, friend. I work with so many moms that really struggle with taking care of themselves. You know, all of their time and attention is spent and devoted to and focused on the needs of their family and the needs of their child, particularly their child that's in crisis. And as I was reflecting back just on my own journey, I realized that there came a point in the journey where I finally figured out, and I I guess I wouldn't even say figured out, I finally accepted that I had no real control over the decisions my kids made in their lives and how those decisions were going to impact them. And when I got to that place, I began to think about how I could begin taking better care of myself. Now, there was definitely some initial guilt that I had to kind of get over to get to this place of beginning to work out this process. But once I did, even just start investing in myself a little bit, there was a noticeable shift in my mental health. The depression that I was experiencing wasn't quite so heavy. The anxiety was a little less debilitating. And so I took a poll recently on social media in a couple of different communities of moms who had children in crisis. And I asked them if anybody else had had experience with this. And if so, how did they pour back into themselves? And I wanted to share those poll results with you. So the number one answer on the poll results was exercise or physical movement. 44% of the mamas that I polled said that they regularly poured back into themselves or practiced self-care using exercise or physical movement. So that could be something as simple as walking, it could be yoga, it could be a strength training program, something of that sort. The number two answer, which was 20% of the people said that the way that they poured back into themselves or practiced self-care was by spending time with their friends. The third highest result came in at 14%, and that was people who practiced self-care by going to counseling, therapy, 
participating in support groups, or 12-step programs. And number five on the poll coming in at 5.7% was massage. Other answers that they included were shopping, traveling, and spending time in hobbies or things that they found interesting. But it all boils down to one thing, creating space during this time for psychological care. Psychological care includes any self-care behaviors that help to keep your thoughts and emotions more balanced. And it ties back into this theme that we've had for the past couple weeks of self-compassion. Now, I'd like you to stop and think for just a moment about all the ways that you show up in compassion for the people in your family, at your job, in your community. How many times have you made an appointment to address the needs of someone else? How many small moments have you spent just today pondering over how to fix, heal, and help someone in your circle? Now multiply that times seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. That's a lot. Can we agree that that is a lot? It's a lot of compassion and a lot of care and a lot of concern going out. And all I'm saying is that your spirit, your soul, that light inside you, that part of you that is responsible for all the ways that you think and feel and manage and push through all the hard stuff, day after day, week after week, year after year, needs just a little, just a smidge, just a fraction of that same compassion. Self-compassion is our ability to notice our own struggles and to be moved by them. So let me ask you, are you even aware of how often you dismiss a feeling bubbling up inside you? How often you dismiss a hurt experienced in your heart after your teenager's words cut quickly and deep? Are you even aware of how often you keep returning to a vice or a hang-up you have again and again because it's the only thing that provides you a momentary feeling of relief? Are you aware of the heartache that's churning around and around waiting for the opportunity to be spoken and released? When was the last time you were moved to do something to honor with compassion these parts inside you. Now, this is something that we really struggle with, and I know it's one of the biggest hurdles you face on your journey toward healing. I know you've heard me say time and again that you have your journey through this season with your child. You will travel side by side through these years, but your purpose is not to just sit idly by in the caboose of the train they're driving, feeling every twist, turn, and derailment. You have your own journey to go on, your own recovery, your own patterns to address. But I'll be honest and say it, for me personally, the truth is that I would rather play martyr and spend all my energy focusing my attention on my child and what they need 
then to find the courage that's required to sit with the discomfort of releasing this imaginary control I think I have and begin addressing the areas in my own life that need healing. Are you with me? I would rather play martyr and spend all of my energy focusing my attention on my child and what they need rather than finding the courage that's required to sit with the discomfort of releasing this imaginary control I think I have over my child and begin addressing the things in my life that need healing. For instance, the way I'm always judging what I think, say, do, or feel, and that it's never good enough. How I struggle with feeling like it's okay to ask for what I want or need from my child as their mother. That I believe my child is incapable of taking care of themselves without me. So much so that I am constantly compelled to give advice and direction without ever being asked. You know, I could keep going and going with these. Self-reflecting is tough, which is why I started all of this by saying that I would rather play martyr and spend all my energy focusing my attention on my child and what they need than to find the courage that's required for me to sit with the discomfort of releasing this imaginary control I think I have and to begin addressing the areas in my own life that need healing. Does any of that resonate with you? Well, I think that this kind of leads us beautifully into our topic of conversation today, and that is to look at number three in our top five answers of how parents pour back into themselves once they are ready to finally begin working on healing at a soul level. And number three on the list was therapy. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to lump together counseling, support groups, and 12-step programs into the therapy category as well. So let's start off by talking about what gets in the way. Okay, so there's a few things that get in the way from us reaching out and beginning to take care of ourselves. The first is guilt. And here's my experience with guilt. Any activity that is solely focused on us when people we love are struggling can often feel selfish. According to USA Today, one in three people experienced feelings of guilt for taking time for themselves, even though 67% desperately want more of it. Another barrier is access. When it comes to therapy or counseling specifically, it can be challenging to find a therapist, especially since the pandemic resulted in many more people seeking out help with their mental health. Then when you throw in the added challenge of trying to find someone who accepts your insurance, it can become overwhelming pretty quickly, which kind of leads people to just give up. Another struggle when it comes to therapy or counseling is having room in your budget to be able to afford those weekly or monthly visits. 
Most parents I know with teens in crisis are stretched pretty thin. I mean, between having to take off work to meet with school officials, going to court hearings, driving their kid to therapy appointments, and the occasional mental health day that they have to take off because they simply have nothing left to give, financial resources are tight. However, this is one of the reasons why I love support groups and 12-step programs both of which I'll talk about a little later, but they are almost always available cost-free, and that removes one huge barrier. Shame is another huge obstacle. You know, whether you're planning to go see a therapist or attend a support group or sit in on your first 12-step meeting, we enter into these situations thinking no one on earth is possibly more messed up than we are in this moment. And we worry about what other people will think if we actually begin to open up about the things that we'd much rather keep hidden. But can I share with you what I've learned? The moment that we resolve to let light shine on the things in our life that are dark is the moment that they begin to lose their power and control over us. I have seen it time and time and time again. Two more barriers for us are overwhelm and time. In order to overcome these barriers, we have to understand that taking time to address some of the things that we are experiencing in therapy or in group settings or in 12-step meetings will help with the overwhelm that we're experiencing. I feel like it provides an opportunity to breathe in deeply and it acts as a reset button for us moving forward. All these meetings are typically just one hour, and one hour per week really is asking very little. In my own experience, having that small taste of noticing my own struggles and being moved by them led me to want more, and I began to find that I made time for those meetings. In fact, I'm looking at the clock right now, and I know in 15 minutes, I have a CODA meeting that I'm going to attend. And so I'm being very mindful of that because I know that's something I don't want to miss. So let's switch gears then, and let's talk about what are some of the benefits of starting therapy or counseling. I know in our minds, we could probably figure out what those are without needing to be told. But sometimes it helps just to be able to hear somebody else say it. So according to psychiatry.org, supportive therapy, which uses guidance and encouragement to help clients develop their own resources, helps you work on habits that you'd like to change. It helps you improve, understand, and communicate about relationships. And It helps parents identify, address, and manage their own past or present experiences that may be affecting the way that they relate to their child. Now, if you are considering therapy and you want to look more into that as an option, here's a couple things you can do. First is you can check your provider directory through your insurance company. If you have a child that's currently on probation in the juvenile justice system, you can also check with the juvenile probation counselor and explore local resources that they might know about. 
Another way that you can find a therapist is you can just simply ask people that you know. Uh, you can go to schools and ask guidance counselors for people who specialize in family therapy. If you attend church, a lot of times there's pastoral counseling that may also be available. And then finally, there are now more and more online options uh, with programs such as BetterHelp and Talkspace. I haven't used them um, personally, so I'm not sure what that process is like, but just know that there is that option as well that may kind of open up more opportunities for you to be able to find someone quickly and begin that process. Now let's talk about support groups. Here are some of the benefits that you might experience by participating in a support group. One is just feeling less lonely, isolated, or judged. You know, when we are stuck within the confines of our mind, it's really easy to feel like we're on an island, to feel like we're the only ones that are experiencing something, and to feel like if anybody knew about what we were experiencing, they would definitely place judgments on us or on our children. So being in a support group helps with that. It also helps reduce distress, depression, anxiety, or fatigue. It gives you an opportunity to openly and honestly talk about your feelings with other people who understand. It improves your skills on helping you cope with challenges. It helps you gain a sense of empowerment, control, or hope. It helps improve your understanding of what's going on with your kiddo and your own experience with it. And it can also just help inform you about other uh, resources that might be available to you. And finally, we get to 12-step programs. And these are programs like Al-Anon, which is a mutual support program for people whose lives have been affected by someone else's addiction, and CODA, which I mentioned earlier. CODA is a program of recovery from codependence, where you learn to recognize denial patterns that you have, compliance patterns, control patterns, avoidance patterns, and you do that while learning how to establish healthy boundaries and communication. I've had the personal experience of attending both. Um, like I said, I'm currently attending CODA meetings once a week, and they've really been helping. Aside from the fact that they are free, there are many, many online meetings to choose from, and they also provide a sense of belonging, um, fellowship with others who provide encouragement and support just by sharing their own stories and hearing about where they once were and where they are now. And finally, space for you to grow while you do your own inner work and healing with honest reflection. So I hope that this gives you some ideas on how you can work towards establishing some better self-compassion through therapy, counseling, 12-step programs, or support groups. 
I have done support groups online in the past. I am not currently doing one, but I do have plans to start a group up this spring. The support groups that I run typically go six weeks and they're topic led. So we have a different topic that we talk about every time. We do a lot of sharing in the group, kind of talking about our experiences and things that we are currently struggling with. If you've been to the Pathways to Hope Network website, there is a spot there for you to subscribe. And typically, I will send out an email when I'm getting ready to start a group, probably about a month ahead of time. So if you have not already subscribed, I would suggest doing that if that sounds like something that you might be interested in. If you follow us on social media, I usually post on there as well. However you choose to do it. I just want to remind you how important it is for you to begin practicing some self-compassion and to make time for any self-care behaviors that help to keep your thoughts and emotions more balanced. All of the things that we're talking about in this series, whether it's exercise and physical movement, spending time with friends, counseling or therapy, prayer, meditation, journaling, all of the things that we're talking about are ways for you to begin to shift your focus away from the things that you can't control and onto the things that you can. And trust me when I say that you have your own healing journey through this struggle. And the time that you invest in yourself healing yourself, making yourself well, recognizing the patterns that are holding you back will pay dividends into the life of your child and will have way more influence than spending all of your energy and attention focusing on what they need while holding on to this imaginary control that you think you have. Remember, you do not have control, but you do have influence And the more that you work on yourself, the more your influence in your child's life will increase. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. No, you're not going to find any fancy initials after this name. In fact, you know, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing in my family and in my life, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned... It's that we're stronger together. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information helpful today, would you take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review? It would mean so much to the mama who hasn't found us yet and to me. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. And be sure to subscribe. Each week, we send out one to two messages that are designed to encourage and equip you as you find your path towards hope and healing. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. 
Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with children in the juvenile court system, and we do that by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. Remember, you were never meant to go through this alone.